Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, March 26th. I'm your host, Anastasia Uglova. Oral arguments started last week in Wilkie v. Robbins, a case in which a Wyoming property owner took federal officials to court because they engaged in outright harassment after he refused to sign over an easement of his land. The question before the court? Whether it is wrong to retaliate against a property owner for exercising his constitutionally protected rights. That may sound bizarre to some of you. How can government retaliate against a property owner for doing what the law allows him to do? But the case is being heard by the Supreme Court. Our commentator today on the phone is Timothy Sandifer, author of the Cato book, Cornerstone of Liberty, Property Rights in 21st Century America, and an attorney at the Pacific Legal Foundation. What happened to Frank Robbins that led him to the Supreme Court? Well, Frank Robbins bought a ranch in Wyoming in the 1990s, and the former owner of the ranch had negotiated with the Bureau of Land Management about giving the government an easement across the land, but the government failed to record this easement. And what that meant was that Robbins bought the land not knowing about this, and so the law works in such a way as that that was extinguished. There was no easement. So he buys the land free and clear. The government realizes they've made this mistake, and rather than trying to negotiate honestly with Robbins, they immediately try to intimidate him into giving the government an easement across the land. Intimidate? What do you mean? What have they been doing? Well, they began by telling him things like, well, the United States doesn't negotiate, and that they were going to play hardball if he was going to resist them. And so they began to do things like trespassing on his property. He alleges that they broke into his house and destroyed some of his furniture. They harassed the customers that went to his guest ranch, videotaped them, for example, and drove cars to stand in their way. And in one case, they even brought a frivolous criminal charge against him in court on the grounds that he had interfered with federal officers in the performance of their duties, and the jury acquitted him with only 20 minutes of deliberation. So they engage in this campaign of intimidation against Robbins. So he has filed this lawsuit complaining that this is a violation of his Fifth Amendment right. In fact, it does sound like a violation of due process to punish someone for exercising something that the law allows him to do. That's exactly right. The Fifth Amendment says that it recognizes that people have the right to private property and have the right to say no if the government wants to negotiate with them to buy land from them. Now, of course, the government can use eminent domain, but this isn't what they did in this case. What they said was, we would like to exchange one thing for another, and he said no. And rather than respecting that right, the government went ahead and tried to punish him and put him through this vindictive process in order to pressure him into giving them the property. Is this kind of intimidation of property owners common among officials? Well, you know, unfortunately, it's hard to get any kind of solid numbers on that sort of thing, but there are many cases, reported cases of this, and of course the anecdotal evidence is pretty strong. There were two cases in San Bernardino County, for instance, in the 1990s, where city and county officials were using their inspection powers and their police powers to harass and intimidate landowners into giving their land up. There was even one case, I believe it was in Vermont, where the president of the city council tried to force a property owner to give him the land personally for his own private use in exchange for a building permit. And so these sorts of things do go on. And what's unfortunate about that is that if you take it Literally, of course, the government has the power to inspect buildings and ensure that they're safe or to require certain cleanliness standards and these sorts of things. But they can also use those powers in a corrupt way or an improper way by requiring like really rigorous obedience to the standards or punishing you severely when you violate the standards but not anybody else. And these kinds of little subtle ways of using power in a technically legal way 
in order to pressure people into doing what the government wants them to do. So why is retaliation prohibited with regard to the First Amendment or other kinds of rights, but not here? Unfortunately, I think it's typical of the second-class status of property rights in American law that has been going on since at least the 1930s, where the courts say, well, when it comes to speech rights or religion, we'll take those rights pretty seriously and protect people's right to speak their minds and that sort of thing. So therefore, the government can't retaliate against you when you speak your mind. But on the other hand, when it comes to property rights, well, we don't really care much about those kinds of things. And so the government has a lot more leeway to use its powers, and courts are going to look the other way whenever the government uses its powers in ways that infringe on property rights. Solicitor General Paul Clement wrote in his brief that no court has ever recognized a constitutional right against retaliation in the context of property rights. Is that true? Well, unfortunately, it does appear to be the case, but that's because these kinds of cases don't really go very often. They don't go forward to courts, and they don't go up to appellate levels, and they don't go up to the Supreme Court very often because a lot of this stuff happens behind closed doors or happens to property owners who don't have the power to resist. I mean, Mr. Robbins has been resisting this thing for 10 years, and he still hasn't had his trial. He still hasn't got his day in court because of this case. And so not many people are in the kind of position that allows them to sue the government and keep suing. I mean, in the business, we say that when you sue the government, you pay both sides lawyers. And that's what's going on here, unfortunately. But Mr. Robbins has stuck this out and has sued the government and stuck to his guns long enough that it's got to the Supreme Court. So it's true there aren't many reported cases on these issues, but that doesn't mean that this doesn't go on. And it certainly doesn't mean that the Fifth Amendment allows the government to retaliate against people who assert their private property rights. And what are the ramifications if Robbins loses this case? That's the most disturbing thing, because, you know, if you thought Kilo was bad, you just wait. In the Kilo kind of situation, in the case of eminent domain, the government comes and takes your property, perhaps unjustly, but at least it compensates you for it. But if the Fifth Amendment does not protect a property owner's right to be free from retaliation when they exercise their property rights, then that would free the government up to use its licensing powers or its inspection powers as a pretext for coercing property owners into giving up their land to the government for free. Let's say you own an apartment building. Here comes the apartment inspector week after week after week finding some minor violation and fining you for it, $100, $500 each week. How many years can you stand that until you finally say, fine, I'll give my land up, I don't care? and decrease the value and take whatever the government's going to give you for it, or even just abandon the property entirely. And that's what's unfortunate about this case, what's especially disturbing about it, because it seems to allow local officials carte blanche to abuse property owners under the pretext of their lawful powers in order to take their land whenever they want it. Any hints from oral argument on how this case might come out? Pretty disturbing ones, actually. At first, it looked like the justices were giving the government a very hard time in its argument, especially Justice Ginsburg, who seemed very sympathetic to Mr. Robbins. But when it came time for Lawrence Tribe, who was arguing in favor of Mr. Robbins, the justices really seemed to be very pro-government, particularly Chief Justice Roberts. But it was Justice Breyer who was insisting several times during oral argument that we have to maintain this double standard with regard to property rights. He kept saying, well, so much of what government does intrudes on private property rights that we shouldn't allow people to maintain these kinds of lawsuits because otherwise it would disturb the government's ability to continue violating our property rights. I mean, those aren't his exact words, but that was what he was arguing. And that's very disturbing to see, is that it seems like it's a very much 
a jurisprudence designed to maintain the regulatory state rather than to find a lawful and constitutional result. You say in your Legal Times article that this case could turn out worse than Kilo. Why is that? Well, because in the Kilo kind of situation, it's true that the property owner who has his property taken through eminent domain suffers from an injustice. But at least they have an opportunity to go to court, to argue about the value of the property, and to get just compensation. But if the government has the ability to use its regulatory authority in a vindictive way and persecute property owners whenever they refuse to give up their land to the government or go through with a deal the government has proposed, that creates a huge imbalance of bargaining power. The government, you know, it's perpetual. It's got almost all the money in the world. It's got all of these lawyers. And this property owner faces going to court and challenging that behemoth. And that's not very easy to do. And if they have the power to use their leverage in order to pressure property owners into giving up their land, then that's a far worse situation than Kilo. It enables the government to use its powers to pressure property owners into giving up their land without getting just compensation. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.